Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down or destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, O oh Lord, for being able to worship you, for being able to celebrate your goodness and your grace. We're recognizing you, O oh Lord, as the creator of the universe, of everything that we have and are and everything that will ever be. We ask, O oh Lord, now on this, at this time that you will just speak to us your word as it is proclaimed, that you will give me your thoughts to be my own, and that you will speak what we need to hear this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever sat down to try to write something and had writer's block? Wouldn't come out? You sat down, you tried to write it, wouldn't come out? Or maybe you had a hard time reading a book. Anybody ever start reading a page and find that 10 hours later you're still reading the same page because you've read it over and over and over again? Or maybe it was something else that you were trying to do something and you got distracted over and over again and you never got it done and you said, but I wanted to do that today. And you never got to do it. The reality is that we always have trouble focusing. You know, I think there's a little ADHD and ADD in all of us when it comes to our attention span. And God is painfully aware of that because oftentimes... He is talking to us and trying to tell us things, and we're just not listening. We're just not paying attention. We're just not, not in tune with what God is trying to tell us. In our scripture today, God begins by calling Jeremiah to a change in venue. 
And this is important, a change of location. Why? Because I know that if I pick up a book and lay down in my bed to read it, the chances of me finishing that book are slim to none. Because I'm going to get comfortable. And eventually, I'm just going to doze off into my sleep. But if I change and I go to another place that's not my bed where I normally sleep, then I will be more focused on the book and be able to really get into it and really be able to continue reading. A change in venue is often needed in order for us to be able to focus, to be able to pay attention, to be able to grasp that which escapes us. And in this case, the Lord tells Jeremiah, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I, I, this phrase is very intriguing to me. Did you know that God has to cause us to hear his words? Because our ears are often shut to the message of what he wants to say. Our attention is not with him because we've got so many other things pulling at us. And so God has to cause us to hear, open our ears and our understanding and give us a new way to be able to hear him when he speaks. So he called them. He said, arise and go to the potter's house. And there, there in that place, I will cause thee to hear my words. Can we hear the Lord anywhere we go? Yeah, absolutely. But are there places that the Lord calls us to to speak to us more clearly and to get our attention more deeply? I believe so. I believe there are times in which God calls us to specific places or specific situations in order to get us to pay more attention to what he's trying to say. Sometimes that could be a place as simple as your closet or your room, your prayer spot, wherever it is. And sometimes it's getting away from the totally familiar to go somewhere completely new. When my kids were little, I remember trying to teach them things by telling them. And that doesn't work very well. You know why? Because kids don't process things the same way adults do. We have experience behind us. We have lived. We've been there. We've seen a lot of things. So when somebody explains something to us, we have a frame of reference throughout all of our experience. But when a child needs to learn something, they need to be able to experience it in order to learn it. So when I was trying to teach my children how to fold clothes, I couldn't just tell them how to do it. I had to literally pick up a shirt and fold it in front of them as they held the shirt in their hands and folded it so that they would get what I was saying with my words. It was a lot easier once they saw it. Doesn't mean they wanted to do it, but it was easier <laughs> once they saw it. I believe that God wanted Jeremiah to go to the potter's house because he wanted to demonstrate to him the message that he was about to share with him for him to share with the people of Israel. He said, I don't want to just tell you, I want to show you. 
I want you to see it because if you can see it, you'll be able to better understand it and grasp it and be able to share it with the people. So go to the potter's house. God felt this message was so important that he wanted to show him instead of just tell him. You know, Jeremiah complies with the request of the Lord. He doesn't go pull up his Google calendar and go, let me see if I can schedule you in next week. Let me see if I have time after lunch, maybe, to go down there. No, the scripture says he arose and went to the potter's house as God had commanded him. He went at that moment. You know, sometimes we just need to learn to go when the Lord says go and come when the Lord says come. We need to lay, pay attention to what God is asking of us. Jeremiah goes straight there. He doesn't put any excuses for not going. He doesn't say I'm too busy. He doesn't say I've got this other stuff to do. He goes to the potter's house. And when he gets there, he sees him working with the clay on the wheel. And most of us have seen an image of a potter working on clay, right? There's this wheel that spins and the clay's in the center. And did you know that it's normally attached to a cylinder and a secondary wheel at the bottom? Because back then they didn't have automation, okay? So the potter actually worked on the clay on the top wheel while his foot was spinning the bottom wheel. Later on, they developed pedals to do it. But at first, it was, they just literally were spinning as they were working on the piece. So you could see how easily the piece could go bad because it required so much concentration and work. And the scripture says that this potter was working on that clay, and as he's working on that clay, it marred, it spoiled, it, it went bad. As simply as that, it went bad. It no longer looked like it needed to look. It no longer had the shape that it needed to have. And at that moment, there's good news for us. Because the potter doesn't take the clay and go, well, I guess you're done and throw it out. The potter takes the clay and reworks it and continues to reform it and reshape it in his hands as he sees fit. And out of the clay comes a new vessel as seems good to him. There's really good news here for us. Any of us falling apart? In our lives? Anybody? Anybody falling apart? Um, am I alone on that? If you've ever fallen apart, make sure you fall apart in the potter's hands. Because if you fall apart in the potter's hands, you don't end up in the trash. You end up being reformed and remade and renewed into something beautiful according to his will. To me, that is such great news because the world normally takes people and spits them out whenever they don't conform to whatever it wants them to be. It values people based on money and position and power and prestige and title and all these other things that at the end of the day don't really matter to God. And yet God does not throw anything out. He doesn't give up 
on the clay, he continues to reshape and reform and renew. As I was preparing for this, and let me tell you, God changed the scripture yesterday. This is not what I was going to preach today. God gave me an image of a broken plate. How many of us have broken a plate? All of us. All of us at some point have dropped a plate or a cup or something and it's smashed into little pieces. Now some of us know what super glue is. And if it was an important or a valuable plate or something that you really didn't want to lose, what did you do? You started picking up the pieces and trying to glue it back together. Hopefully it wasn't broken into too many pieces and you're trying to put it back together. And that is the way we try to restore things when they're broken. God, on the other hand, takes the plate, grinds it up into a fine dust, reworks it into something new and forms it into a brand new vessel that might not even be a plate anymore. It might not even be what it started off as, but which is good based on what he calls good in his sight. The word used here for spoil is marred. Marred. The clay was marred. And normally when something spoils, we throw it out. That's what we do. We dispose of it. But not God. In the book of Jeremiah, this word has been used before. Not to talk about clay, but to talk about Judah. To talk about the people of Israel. God had basically been telling Jeremiah, the people have spoiled They've gone astray. They've gone to do evil things. They've gone to do their own thing. And they have stopped listening to me. They have become marred. And to some of us, that sounds harsh. And maybe it sounds like, oh, God's ready to just give up on them. But that's not where this is going. You see, God asked the question of Jeremiah. He says, do you see what the potter has done with this clay? Can I not do that with the house of Israel? Am I not the God who made the heavens and the earth? And can I not reshape them and reform them and renew them and make them something new? You know, the question is rhetorical because we should all go, yes, of course you can. You are God. We should be saying, of course you can reshape. Of course you can renew. Of course you can bring life out of no life, light out of darkness. You are the great I am. But I think the question that was posed was posed to Israel, and it was posed to them on purpose. Because the real question was not, can God do this? The real question is, do you believe that God can do it? And do you believe that God wants to do it? And do you believe that you can allow God to do it in you? See, we normally don't ask the clay, do you want to get changed? But God literally asked the clay, do you want to be shaped? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be renewed? Because being reshaped 
It's not an easy process, folks. It's not an easy process when what we are needs to be deconstructed down to the base. And God has to start you from the ground up. It's painful because it requires repentance of anything in us that is not pleasing to God. It's painful because it requires change that we might not be willing to do. It's painful because it means surrendering our autonomy to God and to surrender to his will in a new and radical way that says, Lord, whatever you want to make of me, make of me now. And I'm just going to let you do it because you know better than I do. It requires us to believe that God's plan for us is still better than our plan for us. And that's hard for us because we think we know everything. You know, I, I think of Israel as a teenager. You know, teenagers get to that age where they know everything and you know nothing. And they were like that. They, they got to that age where they thought, we don't need God. We got the promised land. We're all that. We don't need God. We can do our own thing. And God is trying to remind them that he's the one that brought them there in the first place. That it is God who has been shaping them and working with them all along. God brings this illustration to the national level. He doesn't leave it at the personal level only of just the individual. He doesn't leave it just as you, as an individual person. He brings it up to the national level. He says, if I speak concerning a nation or a kingdom, to pull it down or to destroy it, and that nation or kingdom turns from their evil ways, Basically, that kingdom or nation stops doing the wrong thing that caused me to put them in my sights in the first place. I will relent. I will cancel the evil that I have planned to do to them. This lets us know that there are times when God judges the evil that is in the world. But I want you to notice that the punishment for that evil does not come right away. It doesn't come right away. God gives a warning. He announces his intention to bring about justice, to bring about judgment. With what purpose? God does not want to bring judgment. God wants to bring redemption. God wants to renew and so the announcement comes to the people in hopes that the announcement will bring about repentance, will bring about a change of heart, will bring about a transformation inside of them that will lead them to not have to go through that judgment in the first place. Does it remind you of any biblical story? Several of them should come to mind, but the, the main one that comes to mind is Jonah and Nineveh. God sends the prophet Jonah to Nineveh and he doesn't want to go. Do you remember the reason he didn't want to go? He didn't want to go because the people were evil and God was telling them that they were going to be judged and he was worried that if he went there, they would repent. And that if they repented, God would not judge them anymore. And he wanted those suckers to burn. He wanted them to be crispy critters. He wanted them gone. He was like, they're evil. They deserve all of this that's coming to them. I don't want to go there and tell them that God 
is going to judge them because they might actually change. By the way, that's not the best evangelism ever, you know. But he goes. And what happens? The people do repent. The people declare a fast. The people, you know, show God that they really want to change their ways. And what does God do? He changes the evil that he had planned against them. Why? Because the reason for the judgment has changed. They have decided to change their lives. This remains the story that always comes to mind when we think about God relenting to do something, stopping, canceling to do something. When we repent of our sin, when we seek to atone through it through our faith in Jesus Christ who gave himself on the cross for us. God is good and merciful and gives us time and opportunity to change and promises that he will work with us, that he won't give up on us, that he will continue to reform and to reshape. The flip side, though, is also true. Because then God gives the example, the opposite example of a nation that God has promised to plant and build up. A nation that God basically has said, I'm going to bless, I'm going I'm to lift up. And he says, if that nation whom I have promised to build and said that I'm going to build up and, and bless stops listening to my voice and does evil in my sight, then I will cancel my plans for them. I will relent on what I had planned for them. God, who has promised to bless, will have to cancel that blessing and withdraw his favor. And why is this important? Because Israel had been rebellious. They had basically been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to honor God in all their ways. They had been given every chance to reject the foreign gods, to follow God's will, and to obey his commandments. And basically, they had come down on the side of doing whatever they wanted. And now, basically, God was saying, because of that, there'll be judgment. The saddest part of this scripture is in verse 12, which is the last verse that I read. Normally, they cut off this scripture at verse 11 to keep it nice and pleasant. But I decided to include verse 12 because I think it's important. The people, after hearing what Jeremiah had to say, responded to God by saying, thanks but no thanks. We're going to do what we want to do. It is no use. We will follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. I mean, it doesn't get bolder than that. To know that you're following your evil will and still to follow it is like doubly bad in my view. Because they're basically confessing that they know this is bad and wrong, but they're still going to do it because they're that stubborn. But before we judge them too harshly, how many times are we that stubborn? How many times are we that stubborn about our situation, about our sin, and about our things that we need to surrender to Christ? 
Instead of turning to God, if you keep reading on the book of Jeremiah, you find out that the people of Judah began to plan against and plot against Jeremiah. They said, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll just get rid of the prophet that's saying all these things to us, and that way it won't happen. We'll just kill him. We'll get rid of him, silence him, and it will not come to pass. Well, you know, you can't, you can't outdo God when it comes to the power of bringing about judgment and justice. If you keep reading, you find out that God let them be taken into exile because of their unfaithfulness to God. Jeremiah actually prays, God, they rejected the offer. Now do what you said you were going to do. And Jeremiah holds God accountable for actually doing what he said he was going to do. God lets them be taken into exile. But notice that he takes, lets them be taken into exile with the hope that they will be open again to be transformed and worked on with the hope that they will repent and that they will turn back to him. So where's the good news in all of this? Because it sounds pretty doom and gloom, doesn't it? it? Sounds pretty terrible for the people of Judah. Well, for starters, the people of Judah were under the old covenant, and Jeremiah the prophet was trying to tell them as best he could what God wanted to, for them, but he could not touch or reach their hearts. We, on the other hand, are under the new covenant. Through repentance and faith in Christ, we claim that Jesus is our Savior and our advocate. And our scripture tells us that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues to explore our innermost being. That the Holy Spirit is able to convict us of all sin before God and bring us to repentance and show us a new way. The Holy Spirit searches our spirit to help it align with God's spirit. But it doesn't leave it there. It doesn't just go, hey, let me show you what's wrong. The Holy Spirit, like water on clay, softens us up so that God can do his transforming work in our lives. You know, the people of Judah felt like it was hopeless. And we've all met people that have said that to us. You know how many people I've met that said, Pastor, I would go to church, but the church ceiling would fall in because I'm so bad, or I'm so this, or I'm so that, or I have this behavior, or I have this sin, or I have this thing that I've done that God can never, ever forgive. And when people say that, we have to remind them that there's always hope in Christ. That there's always redemption available to those who will repent and turn to him. That God will take even those who are fractured and broken into million pieces. And he will make them whole. That Jesus himself covers all of our sins, every single one of them. And then he reshapes us into a vessel that God can use for his kingdom. 
You know, one of the things that sometimes we miss in the scripture is that clay was not just shaped for the sake of shaping it back then. There was a utilitarian purpose. Clay was shaped into cups and jugs and containers and things that were going to be used for a greater purpose. And in the same way, I think God was telling Judah, I want to reshape you. I want to make you into something new because I have a bigger purpose for you. I want to save the whole world through your seed, through Jesus Christ, through the Savior of the world that will come from the line of David. But I need to reshape you. I need you to be moldable in my hands. And I need you to take the shape that I want to give you. So there's some things I don't want you to forget as we go away from this word because it is such a deep and profound word. First one is you're not the, you're not the potter, you're the clay. I want you to remember that God does the shaping. I don't care how many self-help books you have read out there. The reality is that when it comes to our lives being conformed to the will of God, only Jesus Christ can help us do that. We cannot do that on our own, no matter how good we try to be. He is the potter. We are the clay. It is not he that needs shaping. It is us that needs shaping. It is not he that needs to change. It is us that need to change to conform to his will. The second thing is we need to trust that even if we're broken into a million pieces, God can put us back together. Not the way we were before, but in a new way that fits what he wants to do with us into the future. You know, we always talk about having God having a plan for our lives. But we have to trust that plan. We have to be willing to go along with it and believe in it. We need to be able to have hope that if God transforms us and changes us, our lives will be better because of it. Next thing is we need to repent of anything that is evil in his sight. It is the only way to have him carry out his plan and his will in our lives. And this goes for all of us. There is nobody exempt from repentance of those things that are not pleasing unto God. And if you need help with finding out what those are, that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. It convicts us of sin. It points out the things that need to change. And then it helps us to begin the process of being reshaped and renewed in him. And finally, my hope is that you will keep hope in your life. Remember that the master potter has offered to renew and remake your life through his power, through his grace, and through his mercy. It is a gift of grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross to make it possible. If Jesus had not died on the cross, we wouldn't have the opportunity. We would still be trying to make it on our own, and we would be lost. 
But by his grace, we are shaped. By his wounds, we are healed. And by his spirit, we are made new. I pray that we continue to allow God to shape us, to mold us, and to make us into useful vessels for his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you don't give up on the clay. I thank you because you don't give up on any of us. You continue to work every day in our lives through your Holy Spirit to redeem us of our sins, to redeem us of our failings, to redeem us of our insecurities and our fears, to show us, O oh Lord, that there's hope in you, that there's life in you, that there's light in you. Help us on this day to turn over anything that we need to turn over to you in our evil ways. Help us to confess our sin before you and know that you will forgive it, that you will remove it, and that you will cover it with the blood of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to know that you are the only way to the Father, that we need you, Jesus, every single day. And help us not to forget, Lord, that we are the clay and you are the master creator of the universe, the great I am, and that we can trust you because you have our good in your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.